0: Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to a brand-new three-part series called Waymaker. And so beginning today and over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack this word, Waymaker, and, and some attributes of God. And if that sounds familiar, it's because it's the name of a song that we've been singing around here uh, for quite some time. And, and the lyrics to that song, very, very simple, it's a, you are Waymaker— Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. And we believe that that is who God is. And, and really, with all that's gone on in our world over the past 18 months, we feel that right now is a really good time to be reminded of who God is. And so, so as we unpack this series and we look at these attributes and descriptions of God and even these different names of God, we will see how his nature, how his character is revealed in and through our lives. And, and we'll start with that very first description of Waymaker, miracle worker. And so today, as we talk about miracle worker, it is quite fitting that our text, our text is in Mark chapter four. And you'll see that because we just finished a series about Jonah. We, we, we trekked through the entire book of Jonah, but now we find ourselves in the water again. But this time, we're in a different boat, and it's in a different storm, and the outcome is quite different as well. Because unlike Jonah, fleeing from God and, and his call on his life, we see that Jesus has a very, very different response. In, in fact, Jesus' response is, is more like a bison. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. You, you know, a, a few months ago, I was on Instagram, and I, I saw this guy who was wearing a shirt that, let me just say that, um, and it was it's a nice change of pace to see someone wearing a shirt on Instagram, but he was wearing a shirt, and it was this shirt right here, and the shirt said, Into the Storm. Into the Storm, and I saw this, and it kind of piqued my curiosity, and, and I looked into it, and I thought, like, like what does that mean? Mean And as I started looking into it, I I discovered what it meant. And it wasn't very long until I had this hat right here. I had this hat that says into the storm. And I've worn this hat many, many times. And it's kind of like a magnet for conversation. People always ask, what is into the storm? And so I'm glad that you have asked as well. You you see, into the storm is, is basically this motto. It's a motto from this this bison ranch in Tennessee called Froning Farms. And and here's the deal. Here's what it means. You see, when a storm comes in, when a storm rolls in, cattle retreat. Cattle take off running in the opposite direction. They're fueled by fear, and they run from the storm. But because of that, they actually suffer the winds and, and the rain and the chaos longer. They're actually in the storm for a longer period of time and the storm catches up and it bears down on their feeble attempt to run. Where is bison? Bison, this is so fascinating. Bison turn and they meet the storm head on. In fact, they square their shoulders and they brace against its power and and they always move forward. So while it's a more severe approach, they're actually in the storm for less amount of time. They don't avoid the hardship. They charge straight ahead to limit the pain that they will experience. They don't retreat. Instead, they run into the storm, into the storm. And I think that that's a perfect picture of what we're called to do in the storms of life. And today, as we kick off this Waymaker series, I pray that you lean in. not not just lean into the mayhem you may be feeling or the uncertainty that surrounds life right now or what's ahead, but but that you lean in to the one who speaks storms into silence, that that you lean in to the one who scolds nature and and he puts puts atmospheric pressure in timeouts. So if you would, join me in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35, we're going to read through this title, Jesus Calms the Storm. Since that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, so here we have this, this remarkable story. And, and like just as a brief recap and for some context here, it's, it's after a long day of ministry. Jesus has been teaching to, to large, large crowds, and he's been, he's been um, active in his ministry. He's been at work. And, and so after this long day, Jesus decides, hey, let's go out on a boat. We're gonna cross over to the other side of the sea of Galilee. And I imagine, because Jesus, he, he valued relationships so much. I imagine he hung out with his buddies for just a bit. But then time came where, where he, he was going to go below deck to rest. And so that's what he does. But then this wild storm, it's called a squall, the squall picks up. And, and this, isn't, this isn't rare to happen on the Sea of Galilee where, where very quickly, like a storm can move in over the, the East Mountains and it, it kind of rages in this body of water. And so the storm pops up, the, the winds are blowing, the waves are rocking, water is splashing. It looks like bath time for my kids. Like, like, like th- this first century boat is tossed around like a rubber ducky with no control. And, and so the disciples, they find themselves in the storm. And, and, and then what do they do? They run to Jesus and he's asleep. They find Jesus asleep, which I think is so, so significant. Think about this. What was Jesus not doing? Jesus was not pacing. Jesus was not biting his nails. Jesus was not anxious. Jesus was not In the fetal position, like it's a tornado drill in elementary school. No, 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 Jesus is sleeping. You you see, while the forces of nature and evil are awakened and threatening, get this, Jesus is so confident in God's presence and provision that he's found himself a first-century temper pedic to lay down and catch some Zs. That's what Jesus is doing in the midst of the storm. He's resting, which tells us that in the face of fear, Jesus provides peace. In the face of fear, Jesus provides peace. But with the boat rocking and the storm swelling, the disciples are anything but peaceful. They come fumbling in, they come rushing in, and they wake him up, and they ask a very real and raw question. They ask Jesus, don't you care? They come and they wake up and they say, Jesus, don't you care that the boat is about to to be swamped? Jesus, don't you care that we're about to be capsized? Don't you care if we drown? Jesus, don't you care about our well-being? Don't you care about us? Don't you care? Which, when I think about it, how often do we find ourselves asking that very same question? Like when I just surveyed the past 18 months in our world, How often have we asked that same question? I mean, just think about some of the global catastrophes over the past year and a half. Like we've had the Australian and California wildfires, flash flooding in Afghanistan, locust swarms in Africa, hurricanes in the Caribbean and South America, volcanoes and typhoons in the Philippines, earthquakes in Turkey, cyclones in India, the Venezuelan refugee crisis. Then here in our own country, the civil unrest coupled with political tension and the economic uncertainty right here in the United States and all of that and more with the backdrop of the COVID-19 pandemic continuing to spread over the past year and a half. And that's not even to mention and the personal trials and tribulations that you and your friends and your family have faced or encountered lately. And in the midst of all of that, we say, God, don't you care? Don't you see what's going on? And so what happens is we get to the end of our rope. We've done all that we can, and we've been moved beyond self-reliance. And so we rush in, and we shake Jesus, and we wake him up, and we say, Jesus, don't you care? Can't you do something about this? Don't you see what's going on? Don't you care? Now listen to the words that the psalmist wrote and. Chapter 118, verse five, out of my distress, get this, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Out of my distress, when I was at the end, when I had to rush in in the midst of the storm, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me because here's what can happen. A a storm comes and, and we're not only fearful Of the circumstance, but but we can feel guilty about questioning God in the midst of a storm. Like you ever been there? Like, like 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 you feel like like this is a sign of of little faith if I question God, but we see that his followers did the same. So I want to encourage you, like, like don't hold back. Ask the tough questions because he can handle it. He welcomes your uncertainty and your fears and your questions and your doubts. In fact, That's when we see God show up and show off in Mark chapter four. They wake Jesus up and they say, don't you care? And then what's he do? He performs a miracle and calms the storm. We read this in verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind. Now think about that. He just scolded the wind. He's speaking to water and it obeys. And he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely silent. Calm. Now, now I grew up on a lake, and you know, early in the morning, you may have seen this too. Early in the morning, it's so peaceful because the, the lake kind of resembles glass, and it just reflects the surrounding landscape. You, you know what I'm talking about? Well, 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 here's actually an example. Here's a picture of this lake where all of this took place. This is the Sea of Galilee. And and this this is such a beautiful, like calm scene. But but just think, moments prior, moments prior, the the winds are raging and and the waves are are, are nearly six feet tall as is common on the Sea of Galilee. And and all of this is going on. But, But this, this right here was spoken into existence. It was spoken into existence because only moments earlier, a dark sky was stirring up a storm that was beating against a first century boat. But then Jesus speaks. He answers. They called out and he calms the storm, miracle worker. That's Jesus. Jesus. You know, God's sovereign power was being unleashed in this moment. And, 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 and just like the imagery, if you're familiar with, with the Old Testament prophet uh, in, in Daniel chapter 7, it, it speaks of this, this beautiful imagery that, 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 that out of the sea would come these monsters, but one like a son of man would calm the waters. And here Jesus assumes the role of God's agent in defeating the forces of chaos. We see this miracle worker, and we see that he isn't Jonah running away from God's plan in the midst of the storm. No, no, no. He's Jesus who allows God's plan to unfold in the midst of the raging storm. That's Jesus, a miracle worker. But but as I was living in this text this week, as I, I just kept reading it and, and, and just trying to, to pray over it and pray about it and pray for you that, that would kind of hear these words. I began asking a question that seems obvious at first, but this is the question. When did Jesus, when did Jesus perform the miraculous? I, I, in this text, in this account of people who were, who, who were there and, and who, who spoke of what they saw, when did Jesus perform miraculous? The miraculous world. It'd be easy to look at the story and say, "Well, when he calmed the storm, right? Absolutely, and absolutely, when he calmed the storm, that was a miracle." But but the reality is, he had never stopped working. He never stopped working. You see, when Jesus stepped onto the boat, his very presence was fulfillment of God's promise that He would be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And there's this correlation. I love this. I've seen this in my own life. There's this correlation between miracles and peace. And the miraculous peace that Jesus displayed in the midst of the squall was a peace that transcends all understanding. It's miraculous. And his mere presence was miraculous. And because of his presence, peace was abundant, but it wasn't accidental. You see, see Jesus embodied peace all throughout this story, but he was very intentional in the way he did it. We see this kind of in three ways. First is this that Jesus desired peace prior to the storm. Jesus desired peace prior to the storm. We see that in the fact that he withdrew from the busyness of life to find work, I mean, to find Sabbath in the midst of all the busyness of work. Okay, so we see that, that, that he had been doing God's work, he'd been doing ministry, he'd been teaching, but he knew he, knew he needed to, to withdraw to find rest and peace. And so he was intentional to do so. The other way he embodies peace is this, that Jesus demonstrated peace in the midst of the storm. Like he, he, he demonstrates it. He shows them what it looks like. And we find that because his confidence in God's provision and protection allowed him to keep his head and continue resting when all those around him were losing theirs. I mean, they are freaking out, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows he is secure in God's provision. And so he's able to demonstrate peace in the midst of the storm. And then finally, Jesus demanded peace out of the storm. He demanded peace out of the storm. We see this in the way that Jesus willingly and humbly allowed the Holy Spirit to move in and through him to calm the world around him. And and so he demonstrates this, and he calls it out, and he he says, peace, be still, quiet, be still. Miraculous. And yet... While miraculous peace is abundant in Jesus, there can still be a disconnect because in our minds, we often associate, get this, we associate a miracle with God doing what we want him to do when we want him to do it. Like We say, God, I need a miracle. What we're saying is, God, I need you to do this thing on my terms. And sometimes, this is what's amazing, sometimes he does like, like in this story, we see that. They cry out. They, they say, God, we're in the midst of the storm. Jesus, don't you care? And, and, and he calms the storm. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes we cry out in the storm and he calms the sea. He does. Sometimes we cry out in the middle of an actual natural disaster and our family is spared. You know, sometimes we cry out in a marriage and he, he mends our relationship. sometimes we cry out in need of work and a job opportunity opens up. Sometimes there's actually more months than money left and God miraculously provides. So don't stop waking Jesus. Don't stop rushing in and saying, Jesus, don't you care and pleading for a miracle. Don't stop praying and bringing the desire of your hearts to the one who can accomplish the impossible. Don't stop. Don't stop expecting the miraculous. But if we limit God to working only on our terms, as hard as it can be, we may neglect to see, like the song says, that even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You you see, God can still work even when it's not doing the job we've asked him to do. But because... What happens when you're in the midst of a storm, just like the account in Mark chapter 4? You're in the, the throes of uncertainty. You're in, you're, you're in the midst of waves of trepidation. It's crashing in all around your life. You feel like everything is kind of, kind of falling in on you, and you cry out. You say, God, don't you care? But the storm rages on. Like, like What do you do in that moment? Like, Instead of calm, it feels like calamity actually increases. Like, like, like instead of a crisis averted, it feels that you can't wake up from this never ending nightmare. What do you do in those times when you've called out and, and what you have deemed worst case scenario not only comes to fruition, but long after the initial rainfall, you can't shake the bitter taste of the storm. What do you do in those moments you feel like you've you've asked again and again, God, don't you care? And unfortunately, his seemingly silence has felt like a crushingly disappointing answer. What do you do when you say, God, don't you care, and you feel like he doesn't? What then, what, what, what do you do when it seems like other people get miracles and you don't? You know, my nephew, Charlie, would have turned seven years old last week but but Charlie died when he was seventeen days old in two thousand and fourteen after his tiny body succumbed to to an, an incredibly rare genetic disorder and I asked god don 't you care you know what while Charlie was fighting. For his life, I remember sitting in the dining area right outside the cafeteria at Cincinnati Children's Hospital with, with my sister in law, Charlie's mom. And I remember sitting there, and, 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 and she was exhausted and she was aching and she's mulling over her food with like this absent, distant look in her eyes. And, and she'd been in the hospital with her baby boy for several days by that point. And in that moment, there was nothing I wanted more. That for Charlie to be miraculously healed. But there's nothing I wanted more for, for her and her husband to carry Charlie out of the hospital like praising and glorifying God because I know that they would. Like, I, there's nothing more than I wanted for, for them to be leaping and praising and, and not just them, but the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people who were going to bat for Charlie in their prayer life for a miracle to happen. I, I knew that Jesus would be glorified and God would be magnified in the miraculous healing of Charlie. There's nothing I wanted more. And I was certain, I was certain sitting right there that, that that's what God was going to do. But like, There's nothing I wanted more than to see our miracle working God show up and show out. And, and as I was sitting there, I started reminiscing on another time in that very same hospital, only a couple months prior to that time. And and it was in that very hospital where my now seven-year-old son, Grayson, um, had to go for several days after he was born. See, this is only months prior to Charlie being born himself. And, And Grayson, he was born with this mass on his Chest. And so we took him in, and and he's being seen by this team of world class pediatric oncologists, and they determined that they need to do surgery to remove this mass off of of his chest. And so we gave over our only days old seven pound baby boy into their hands, and we're praying. We're praying God's provision and protection, and we're praying that God would work through medicine to, to provide and perform the miraculous. And, and the, the doctors, they remove a dime-sized mass and part of two of his ribs. And, and Grayson now is a perfectly healthy seven-year-old little boy. And, and I knew when I was sitting there with Charlie's mom and my, my sister-in-law Casey, I'm sitting there with Casey, I just knew the same thing was going to happen. I knew that, that God was going to do it again. And we sing that, we pray for that, God do it again. I knew he was going to intervene. I just knew that Charlie would grow up with his big brother and his big sister, my kids too. Like I dreamed of Charlie playing basketball and baseball and and going hunting and fishing with my kids too. But in that moment, feeling all alone in a crowded hospital, I felt God's peace in the form of words like they were slowly pouring out of my cramped chest that perhaps the miracle wasn't to prolong Charlie's life here on earth, but rather the miracle was going to be allowing Charlie's life to begin there in heaven. And in that moment, that didn't make me feel any better. In fact, it was really, really painful to, to begin kind of wrapping my heart, my mind around that reality. And, and, and I just want you to know that that didn't take the pain away, but, but, but the hope of heaven Gave me something to focus on through the salty tears and the quivering throat. That, that if anything, if anything, from that point on, I began to see God transform grief into this form of homesickness where I long to be in heaven all the more, where I long to be with Charlie too. All the more to, to where I long to one day, like Charlie experience the miracle described in Revelation 21, verse four, that in heaven, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. He's a miracle worker. Just doesn't always work the jobs we would like him too. Friends, I pray that you never experience this, but, but with an audience the size of ours, it's likely some of you have. But, but, but the reality is that nothing on this planet is more unusual or more indicative of the brokenness we face in this world than seeing a shoebox-sized casket. Nothing nothing can prepare you for that. There, there are no words that, that can kind of ready you for that. It's unnatural. It's, it's incomprehensible. And it's just really, really sad. And I remember looking at Charlie's casket and, and asking, God, don't you care? Well, a few days after the funeral, I remember laying on the floor and I'm crying alongside my wife. And and we're just, we're wrestling through these, asking those questions. And and I remember we're asking like, what good could ever possibly come of this? And and I want to be very, very clear because I know that well-meaning people, I'm guilty of this. Maybe you've experienced it, but well-meaning people say hurtful things in the midst of storms. I don't mean to. They're doing their best, but maybe you've experienced it and I'm not one to write off pain as that it's all just part of God's plan. But, but, because quite frankly, church, I don't believe that. I I believe that pain is a symptom of the original sin that crashed into the story of humanity. I believe that sin then exponentially multiplied throughout human history and is used to hurt and destroy God's creation, whether it's catastrophe, disease, pride, abuse, or selfishness. So I do not believe that it's all just part of the plan, but I do know this that God can use the pain caused by the brokenness in this world to draw people to Himself. That God can use the pain to draw people to hope, to draw people together, to draw people to Jesus. That God can use a storm as a springboard for a miracle. That God can use a storm as a springboard for a miracle. And so why do those terrible things happen to seemingly good people? Why did it happen to Charlie? I don't know. But I do know that God can still use it. And as hard as it is to hear, maybe more so, except I believe this, that God doesn't always change our circumstance, but he can always use our circumstance. God can use it that God can use our pain in Psalm 77, 14 says, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. And listen, church, I'll be honest that without the love of God being powerfully displayed through caring people, our family would be in a very different place. Our family would. I just know that. And you know what's amazing? That, the, that that power, that the power of God's love, that the power of God's peace is not just a conduit to bring love to us, but, but it's also a conduit to bring the miracle of hope too. Hope is a powerful thing. And, and you know, every year on Charlie's birthday, my, my family, whether we're together or apart, we, we celebrate with blue balloons. So so every year, just very simple blue balloons. And and here's what I've come to to love about blue balloons, that while blue balloons remind me of the pain, they also point me to heaven. Blue balloons, they remind me of Charlie, and and Charlie reminds me of Jesus. Jesus. And so while there's pain wrapped up, there's also this miracle of hope being poured out and that hope of heaven has spilled over and splashes back down to earth in the form of love expressed through generosity. Check check this out. You see in the midst, in the midst of this storm, The storm that that no one would ask upon their their worst enemy in the midst of the storm of losing their child, my sister-in-law, Casey, and her husband, John, they they channeled their energy as they prayerfully considered and sought how how to honor Charlie's life so that like a star that has since burned out, he, he would go on to shine and shine and shine bright to impact people today and tomorrow so. In partnership with an incredible organization called Charity Water, they have launched and completed multiple campaigns in Charlie's honor. And they are mobilizing the miracle of generosity to provide clean water in the form of sustainable wells for hundreds of people in villages across Malawi and Madagascar. Okay, so they set up these campaigns and people generously give to it and then they're able to provide clean water where there was none before. And this is what Casey said. She said, we have chosen charity water because we know without a doubt that no one is thirsty in heaven. And while we're here without our boy, we hope to give those without clean drinking water an opportunity to experience a little bit of heaven on earth like Charlie experiences every day. Now, friends, would they, would, would we give anything to have Charlie back? Absolutely. But as that's not an option on this side of eternity, by leaning into the storm, God has continued to work. He's continued to bring about miracles in life-giving ways. Just this time, water isn't sloshing around a boat with Jesus on board. No, 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 get this. It's being lifted out of the ground and in the name of Jesus, pour that the people who had no water are no longer thirsty, because God continued to work. and here's why that can happen, because as followers of Jesus, our confidence is not dependent on our circumstance. Our confidence is not dependent on our circumstance. Rather, church, our hope is in Jesus. Because when we let our circumstance dictate how we see God, we're only seeing part of the picture. It doesn't make the part we see any less painful, but it's also not the full story. Psalm 34, 17 and 18 says this, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That The Lord hears his people and the Lord is close to the broken now, now listen to the way that Mark Batterson puts it. He says, though fear is in the air and uncertainty is everywhere, there's good news. The tomb is still empty. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, death was no longer undefeated. He goes on and says, when it seems like all is lost, We go back to the empty tomb. That is where our faith is found. That is where our hope is anchored. The empty tomb. The fact that God wasn't done working. The fact that when all hope seemed lost, Jesus Jesus began to overcome death. And on the third day, he walked out and left behind him an empty graveyard. And so friends, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you that the miracle isn't found in, in our ability to avoid the storms in life. No, the miracle is when, when God shows up and, and, and he works in the midst of the storm. It's what God does in the storm. It's what God does when you lean into the storm, when you need help through the storm and you cry out, when, you, when, when, when all seems lost and, and you come and you wake Jesus up and you say, don't you care, when you, when you understand that you're no match, for the power of sin, but sin is no match for the miracle worker. R- Remember, the disciples, they, they went from being scared of the storm to being terrified of the power displayed in Jesus, because it's that power that keeps wind and the waves in line. It's that power that was again on display. Shortly after the squall on the lake, it's that power that was on display when all hope seemed lost, and the miracle wasn't merely the death of a first century carpenter on that dark, stormy day outside Jerusalem. No, no, no. The miracle. The miracle was the resurrection. The miracle is the fact that Jesus is alive. The miracle was the power displayed in spite of the storm, the promise of life that burst forth in the face of death. That's the miracle. That Jesus overcame. It's that hope that springs eternal, and it's that hope that provides peace. And it's that hope that my family too holds on to, holds tightly, leans into knowing confidently and completely that because of that hope, we will one day see Charlie again too. And that hope is available to you. That hope is is in abundance and that peace is available for all of us from the miracle worker named Jesus. And, And while it always may not seem like it, I want you to know that heaven is invading earth, that eternity is conquering time, that God's kingdom is coming and his will is going to be done. So keep calling keep rushing in, keep bringing the hard questions because he does care. But more importantly, because our miracle working God makes a way where there is no way. And he can even use a storm as a springboard to do just that. Let's pray. Father God, miracle worker, way maker, your name's reveal your character, and they come out of the need of your people. Father, with each name describing how exactly you're going to meet those needs, God, we call on to you, we call out to you that you are wonderful, counselor, you're mighty, prince of peace, you're the ancient of days, the rock of ages, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, I pray that you move mightily in the lives of your people that we lean into you in the midst of the storms in our lives and that while we don't always understand or agree with your timing or ways, let us rest in the peace of your provision and presence. Trusting God that, that while you may not change our circumstance, you can always use it for our good and more importantly, for your glory. All this we pray in Christ's name, amen.
1: Well, what a great kickoff to this new series, Waymaker, and honestly, just a really good reminder that God is still the miracle worker, okay? And even in the middle of the storm, whatever that may be, we all seem to have our own season that we're walking in that, that I can still trust and believe in my faith that God, you're still providing rest and peace in these times. When I don't think you're moving, I, I see you. I can see you in the rest. I see you in the peace. I see you in the little ways and in the unknown ways that I don't even know that you're working for, for our good. So, hey, what a reminder today. I hope that you are encouraged, but also challenged as you're walking through whatever you're walking through. And I just want to encourage you, hey, we're here for you. We want to be in your corner and we are in your corner. You can reach out for prayer today. We would love nothing more to pray with you here online you can you can reach out on whatever platform you're watching or you can also go to slash connect fill out a connect card there we'd love to just get in touch with you because maybe that next step is is you don't even know what it is but you want to take that next step of faith in your journey with jesus hey we would love to be a part of that go ahead reach out online go over to the website you can actually click the link in the comments below. It'll take you right there. We would love to help you take your next step of faith today. And it's always an encouraging time as we join together. And I'm always encouraged by what the Lord wants to do because this isn't just a checklist item for him, okay? He gets excited when we get together and when we worship and we pour out our heart and we finally let the walls down and say, God, I I just want to hear from you today. Would you move in my life, he gets excited about that because we get to worship together in so many ways, through communion, through singing, through prayer, through the reading of scripture, and now through gifts of generosity. And as always, I just wanna say thank you because none of this happens without you, owners of Northeast, stepping up and and taking that step of faith and saying, yeah, I wanna be a part of what God is doing through Northeast. I wanna be a part of the hands and feet of Northeast that has both a local and global impact okay so hey however you give if it's online if it's through the app if it's here in person you come by dropping it in the mail whatever that is I want to say thank you know that those gifts of generosity are having a kingdom impact both locally and globally around the world it's truly incredible well hey what a great kick off to this new series. I can't wait to see you back for week two of Waymaker next week, either here online or in person. Hey, we'll see you there.